Hello. Hello. And welcome to Tacos and Tequila. Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. Um, we are two friends that talk about true crime. We're starting to talk about true crime. And uh, if one day you're listening to this and we've been doing it for a couple of years and we're super famous, sweet, bear with us because then obviously it'll get better. Starting from day one, we're sorry and hopefully it'll get better. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just as awkward for us as it is for you, I'm sure. <laughs> so we wanted to hit the ground running with our first case that we talk about. Um, and it's quite a doozy. <laughs> Oh, so we will be talking about Shane Stewart and Sally McNeely murders. Dun dun dun. <laughs> so, the, fun fact: this was actually featured on Unsolved Mysteries episode in 1991. Uh, Sydney and I both watched it. <laughs> Being just as outdated as you would imagine it would be from 1991. <laughs> Absolutely. And I definitely think we should divulge into uh, some conversation later about our thoughts and opinions on the episode. Watching it literally 30 years later. Yeah, I think it was, what, like season four of the whole series? Yeah, I think I wrote it down somewhere, but... um, That's an OG for sure. (laughs) Yes. Season four, episode one. You can find it on Amazon Prime. Yep. So, Shane Stewart and Sally McNeely, this case takes place in 1988 in Texas. I guess we'll just kind of dive into a little backstory about the two. So, Shane Stewart and Sally McNeely had started dating in 1987. They had a little breakup in between, too, didn't they? Yeah, so the events we'll start, we'll talk about happened on July 4th, 1988, and it looked like that was their first date in more than four months. So a little bit about Sally, I got some notes from everything I read and um, watching that Unsolved Mysteries episode. Uh, her mom talked about her, she called her a people pleaser, which I thought was really interesting to describe your daughter. Um, years later but she literally specifically said she just wanted to be liked wanted people to like her and love her and she was a great friend so really seems like she kind of would do anything for anyone um, that she was really around Um, we'll talk about one of her really good friends Helen but it sounded like Helen and her had been friends for quite a while you know, I kind of got the vibe, well, we can go when we go back into Helen, but was she really a friend or was she looking for some TV time? Also true. <laughs> um, I have a lot of thoughts, too. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, they started dating in the fall of 1987. Everyone that talked about them said it was, like, one of those couples that, like, when they met, they instantly clicked. They, like, right off the bat got along really well, and he really just kind of jumped in head first hanging out with her and her friends i was gonna say sally was a little bit older 18 yeah robin yeah. the cradle with shane the 16 year old yes i think he was he turned 17 while they were dating but yes 
Mm-hmm. Super sketch. <laughs> I guess it's really not. but <laughs> It's really not, but I think it, it seemed, when I read it, it seemed like it was sketchy. <laughs> yes, because at one point they lived together. And I mm-hmm. felt like that was a bit strange because they were so young. I agree um, with that. And also, I think it's important to note that he started hanging out with her and her friend. Because... Her mom, when she talked about her, talked about that she started speaking out a lot and she was rebelling a lot as a teenager. She started um, not like necessarily getting in trouble, but she definitely had an attitude. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I was a teenage girl with an attitude and I was speaking out a lot. Um, (laughs) Sorry, dad. I know you're going to (laughs) listen. She called her mom. Called her mom by her first name. I found that interesting. Yes. They said they that she never called her mom mom, which mm-hmm. was weird. Um, but her mom had her super young. Her dad was never in her life. Um, and her mom said something else that was really interesting is she said, like, they both kind of grew up together. And that when she was young, they were more like sisters, mm-hmm. which I definitely think as uh, a teenager, as you get older, it can kind of probably cause a lot of resentment in that case. For sure. Um, you know, there's a difference between being a mom and being a friend. And she probably needed a mom and some structure. And uh, she got a friend. Yeah. She didn't want a friend. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Shane's dad said when Shane started hanging out with Sally and all her friends, uh, he started changing a lot. Seemed like he was kind of like a jock, really good in school, kind of like one of those good old boy neighbors who was helping out anytime mowing people's lawns that kind of stuff um and that's when he said he started getting into like a lot of fights and getting in Mm -hmm. trouble at school because of it so when sally was sneaking out a lot this is like right before shane's and her started dating i think it's important to note that her mom had kind of discovered that she was in a cult and that's in air quotes <laughs> um we'll get into our thoughts on that in a little bit <laughs> but um I guess one night she had snuck out her mom had waited up found out waited up for her and Sally wouldn't tell her where she was she told her it was none of her business it didn't pertain to her uh, a lot of attitude for like a 17 year old girl who just snuck out of her parents house <laughs> um so I guess her mom started calling around and that's when she found out she was into double worshipping, also air quotes. <laughs> Black magic. Yeah. And I think the party she takes her into happens like before her and Shane start dating. Is kind of the vibe I got out of all that. It's hard with timelines where everything overlaps because it all happens in very small period of time. Yes. Helen had said on the Unsolved Mysteries episode, she was interviewed, um, that she went to a devil-worshipping party with Sally. She said that this she went to a lot of ritualistic parties and that Helen had gotten scared when Sally went into, like, a trance. Um, she didn't know if Sally was messing with her, faking the whole thing or not, but she felt really felt uncomfortable, so the party she had gone to, she actually left and Sally had stayed behind. She doesn't go into any more detail, so, like, I don't really know what kind of trance that is. Also, when they showed the Unsolved Mysteries episode, (laughs) 
they were like talking about devil worshiping and this like satanic cult and all this stuff but like they showed kids with a ouija board just a bunch of kids doing kid things facts now i have to think that you know it's 2021 now this whole thing takes place in 87 88 so like maybe that was pretty satanic back then i think because when did when did the ouija board come out (laughs) um there's a very long history on that but um Ouija board seances, things like that, have been around like hundreds of years. <laughs> Fun oh, fact. That's news to me. <laughs> um, I did do a little bit of history on the satanic panic too. So I guess kind of just going into like a background on that. Um, this is really the time period for like the satanic panic to take over in the US. Um, 60s started a lot of freedom and people were kind of straying from a lot of traditional values and views. And they started, you started seeing like a huge fascination in the occult. It started really scaring everyone by the end of the 60s, early 70s. And we can thank uh, Charles Manson and the Manson family for that. Uh, since that made like national news and they were looked at to be some sort of devil worshiping hippies. Um, and I'm sure eventually we'll talk about that because Charles Manson is the reason I got into true crime as a fan when I was at the age of like 14. So we'll talk about that eventually. Add it to the um, list. We got an ongoing list. And if you're listening, (laughs) hopefully you find us on social media and let us know some, uh, thoughts and opinions on future episodes we should also cover. For sure. Thanks. (laughs) So by the end of the 60s, um, we saw publication of the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey and the formation of the Church of Satan. 70s, you saw like a lot of nationwide press coverage on a lot of serial killers that were saying a lot of like Satanic demonic things. Um, You gotta think like the Zodiac Killer and all his symbols, Son of Sam started seeing a huge popularity with satanism here comes the 80s um rise the AIDS scare missing kids are all over milk cartons um fun fact also first reports of creepy clowns and that's when we're seeing like poison halloween candy stories um the night stalker so i mean the 80s is really a lot of threatening household and family structures so that's when you start seeing a lot of tv evangelists and documentaries talking about satanism another thing i learned actually just on a side note in 1991 so this is also the same year the unsolved mysteries episode airs uh 2020 even aired a real and official roman catholic exorcism on national television scared a lot of people (laughs) Um, and then you have all those bands in the 70s and 80s um, dressing in all black and more rock and metal and, you know, kiss, putting a face makeup on and it scared a lot of families. So by the mid 80s, there's tons of educational material and on identifying and fighting satanic cults. A lot more taboo, I guess, in underpopulated areas. And this whole thing takes place in San Angelo, Texas. So it's definitely, you got to think Texas is more in the Bible Belt in the South. 
So definitely have more traditional values. So also think like that's a little grain of salt in this episode or in this like story. In this case, I think it kind of taints a little bit of the vision on whether this was a real cult or not. (laughs) That's really true. I think that's a good point. Because I mean, was it actually a cult? Was it just kids up to no good that we're black? You know? Yes. They're all in the center of this. Texas community, smaller town that's not necessarily, I mean, maybe that came as a surprise to them, not something that they're typically used to at all. Exactly. And we'll kind of go into um, some theories here in a few when we talk about actually what happened. So um, so in the fall, like I said, fall of 87, Sally and Shane start dating. By January of 1988, they move in together. In March, so only a couple months later, Sally actually called the Tom Green county police department um she started getting worried about the cult that she was involved in and their activities unsolved mysteries actually interviewed i wrote the guy's name down larry and counts who was the deputy at the time who actually met with sally and shane at their apartment um what she told him is that there's just a lot of drugs and group sex and criminal activities going on so she was getting really worried being involved he had made a comment he really felt like they were kind of making up the whole story and the whole reason they had called the police department in the first place is because sally had been given a gun from another member who had told her and shane it had been used in a murder robbery um i don't know about you but if someone just gave me a gun i'd be like no thank you don't know what you did with this I think you can keep this gift. I don't want it. (laughs) Yeah, same. (laughs) So Larry had said in the interview, um, he really started believing them a little more and looking into it when they took the gun and ran everything and found out it was stolen. But then that Um, was it. Yep, that's all you hear about the gun. (laughs) Here's here's the stolen gun that I gave you, and I told you I was scared. (laughs) And... You're going to run it, see that it's stolen, and then we're never going to hear anything else about it. Yeah, because that's another part, is (laughs) Sally told the deputy she felt like they were in danger. They knew a lot of secrets of uh, ongoing activities, and she felt very worried and scared. Um, So then six weeks later, I'm guessing without hearing anything from the sheriff's department, and... She, her and Shane both moved out of town, but separately. So, I mean, it was March when they met with the police. And I'm guessing probably like end of April, beginning of May, they left town. Um, But by early summer, they both had returned to San Angelo. When Helen was interviewed, she also said two weeks before... Um, said incident that we'll get into in a minute that Sally had called her panicked Um, I think this was like right before she returned to town she had told Helen she was really scared and she told her she thought she was in danger Um, her exact words in the interview which I thought were extremely weird and interesting were in all quotes I said Sally no one's gonna shoot you (laughs) she definitely thought Sally was just being dramatic. So we had mentioned 4th of July. So the day before her, uh, Shane and Sally go on this date, 
um, Shane gets a call. He's staying at his dad's house and he moved back into town um, from a man looking for him. So his dad handed over the phone and he overheard Shane talking about money on this call. And he had asked Shane about it afterwards and Shane told him, you know, not worry about, don't worry about it. Um, and he was handling it. So not sure if that's really related or not, but I thought it was really interesting, especially because he had just left town. Especially um, it happening the day before the incident. Yes. Agreed. Sh- short timeline. Very much agreed. So 4th of July, 1988, Sally and Shane head to Lake Nasworthy. I hope I said that right. Near <laughs> San Angelo in Texas. They, a couple different sightings that night, but they were seen around 9 o'clock that night at the fireworks. Um, and I want to say they were seen by, like, a ranger. I thought he was a fisherman. So, at f- four hours later, they're seen by a fisherman. Oh. Now, <laughs> what I will also say is we have a lot of resources um, from everything we've read, a lot of articles. Um, in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, but something Cindy and I talked about was that it was really interesting, a lot of the conflicting stuff. Um, we'll kind of go into, like, miles difference. You know, I think one thing said, like, eight miles, the other one says, like, 15, then you find 11. So there's some time conflicting things as well. Um, so, like, the show says four hours later, um, a fisherman sees them parked right offshore at a different location so not at like nasworthy um one that's about it says in the show about six miles later or six miles away and that's four hours later so that would be you know one o'clock in the morning um that is true i guess i didn't think about the time frame yes because <laughs> other articles i saw i saw said like they were spotted at midnight by a park ranger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of conflicting evidence. And we also have to keep in mind, you know, at this point, it's 30 years later. So it's also a very publicized case. So I think there's a lot of um, conflicting evidence and stories to kind of get to the details. Mm-hmm. So the one... Do you want to talk about the fisherman? I know we thought it was super interesting. <laughs> or do you want me to talk about Super it? interesting. <laughs> um, Seemed really weird. Very weird. This was it. He basically, fisherman, sees some people next to a car, group of kids. Are they fighting? Are they talking? He didn't say what they were talking about or if he could even hear them. Yeah, he he made a comment like he heard them kind of like yelling and arguing, but he couldn't really figure it out. <laughs> and something about they didn't, I think it was in the Unsolved Mysteries, it was like the pickup approach, they didn't want, and someone said they didn't want to be involved in that, but it was more or less, did was that actually what was said? Did he change the wording of it based on what he was hearing from the police? But also, he was on the lake, and they were on shore. The shore. <laughs> so. Yeah, because he said at one point he decides it was just a bunch of kids drinking and arguing. So he just left. <laughs> Go back to my like, fishing. Mind my business. Yeah. So 
Needless to say, Shane and Sally never returned home that night. Um, his dad was a little worried. And then the next morning, his car was found on the side Wait. of the road. Conflicting pl- stories about where. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it wasn't near the original lake that they were at to see the fireworks. Um, also, I know you men- want to mention the what the Unsolved Mysteries episode says about their car. <laughs> the only thing that was not conflicting that I found about this vehicle was the fast food wrappers. Which that I were in feel the like is <laughs> pretty normal. They ha- yeah, they had said fast food wrappers kind of all along the dashboard. I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I still sometimes sit in my car and eat. And I have fast food wrappers in my car. <laughs> Every morning in the work parking lot. <laughs> it was pretty normal. Um, but they did say, you know, his keys were on the dashboard. The car was unlocked. Mm-hmm. And it was a... I have the notes. It's a copper-colored Camaro. Um, and that he... Like, Shane loved this car. So when his dad found out that the car was abandoned, obviously, even more red flags went up for him. Mm-hmm. And then kind of a search ensued to find Shane and Sally. Um, the search went on for quite a few months because in November of 1988, hunters found human remains um, at another nearby lake. Again, depending on where you ask for sources, it's anywhere between like 10 to 15 miles yeah, so it, um, that was really interesting because I think I read one that said it was like four and then one said it was like 15. But then when we actually put in the locations, which give or take the Lake Nasworthy and the other location where they were actually found, what did it say? It was like eight or nine. Yeah, and I think it definitely depends on where because they were found. What was the res- um, reservoir called? Twin... Twin butts. Yeah. Twin butts. <laughs> we're clearly I think it was <laughs> Twin boots. Butts. Boots. It's like B-U-T-T. Reservoir. So, anyways, it's anywhere. It's a bit of a drive because when we looked it up on the map, something Sydney had pointed out to me was there was like a giant airport there. Um, So, of course, I looked it up and the airport was active at this time. Um, Very active, like major airliners flying in and out of this airport. So a huge search ensued even around this area after they found these human remains, which they did identify as Sally. Um, And three days later, they found Shane's remains. The elements had washed away all evidence around them I was under the impression that they were just like skeletons that were found at this point Um, but they did determine that both died of gunshot wounds to the head at the time of the murder Sally was 18 and Shane was still only 17 he was just shy of his 18th birthday please note the shotgun blast to the head and Helen saying about getting shot Yes, so when we watched the Unsolved Mysteries case and talked about it afterwards, that was something we had discussed ourselves because I literally paused the episode and rewound it to write in quotes 
what <laughs> Helen wrote because I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. And also, yeah, and- you already know how she died, so why would you say that on an Unsolved Mysteries? Yeah. Conflicting thoughts on that, but... <laughs> Sketch. So, obviously, police investigation ensued, and to be honest, there's a lot of evidence that I couldn't find answers on. Um, I searched a lot on, like, archived articles if I could find them, things like that. They covered a lot of the memorials, and it was a lot about the Unsolved Mysteries case. And honestly, I found a Reddit page, which I dove deep into as well, an Unsolved Mysteries fan forum page about theories, (laughs) which I know both Sydney and I dove deep into. But, you know, a huge investigation obviously went into this case. Shane's dad did a lot of research on his own he wanted answers him and Shane were very close so he kind of was knocking on doors and asking anyone he could think of um, if they knew anything if they would come forward he was really just talking to anyone about anything he could get he one thing he checks out in the unsolved mysteries case and a lot of names weren't disclosed because some of them were minors at the time of this happened so he had said Shane had told them once that a kid that was allegedly involved in the cult, him, him and Shane were enemies. They hate each other and that he, Shane had told them the kid was trouble. And that if they ever were around each other, got involved with each other, there would be really be a fight. So he had kind of gone to this kid. It made it seem like almost immediately after Shane yeah. had gone missing, too. Yeah, it made it. The Unsolved Mysteries made it sound like it was like within the... the days later like the same night almost like just Um, knocking on his door (laughs) yes so and he had questioned this kid he said when the kid he had questioned the kid he had cuts on his face and he had looked like he had definitely gotten in a fight so some huge red flags in the case or in that but to this day uh sitting here february 2021 recording this this case is still unsolved Lots of theories. <laughs> so um, many theories. But I do have some recent updates from 2014 and 2017 that I'm going to dive into before we talk about all these lovely theories. So one thing I forgot to mention is, you know, they did just kind of lightly touch over this. And they in some articles I read, they touched base on it too. But it's just like mentioned that when the initial case was happening they took dna evidence from shane's car i couldn't figure out where you said you thought it was like on the outside right yeah from i thought i read something that said it was next to the car maybe it was on a food wrapper um (laughs) maybe (laughs) maybe that's why everyone mentions the food wrappers in every article maybe that's what it is that was, I think that that was like one of the top pieces of evidence that was found was the fast food wrappers. So <laughs> if you ever go missing, um, make sure that you have some fast food wrappers in your car because cool it seems to be you important. Can go to my car uh, right now if you want it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, more some more recent updates here. In 2014, the sheriff's department announced they never closed the case. And they had a possible, and that's in air quotes, can't see it, but it's there, um, suspect in a foreign country. To me, that's very strange. There's no other mention other than that. 
Um, yeah. There's no mention of who this was, what was done, follow up on it. Um, nothing. Nothing. And they also if it said was a that they, bad lead. Yeah, they, there's nothing. And then they also exhumed Shane's body for DNA evidence, which I found really strange because what kind of DNA evidence are you looking for when there was no forensic evidence that you could have done previously? Yeah. Um, my only guess was exhuming his body for his DNA. I don't know. I'm not a forensic no, uh, me person neither. at all. <laughs> so then in 2017, uh, a new possible suspect is identified. John Gilbreth. So super weird coincidences happen here with John Gilbreth. He is stopped for a traffic stop in 2017, and they find drugs on him. So they get a search warrant to search his home on basis of drug trafficking, is the article I read. And while searching for this, they found some very interesting items. Very interesting. (laughs) Now, all the (laughs) articles list out these items, so we will too. Three audio tapes with SS written on it, handwritten notes and ledgers mentioning the victims, a lock of hair, and a fingernail are all items mentioned. Um, In every single article. Yes. Now, very strange to me because this took place in 1988 so at this point this is already you know almost 30 years since the Mm -hmm. case had happened when they find all this evidence so when this information comes out the sheriff department does let everyone know in like a statement that he was actually a member of the cult that shane and sally were in he was 17 at the time and he has been considered a suspect in that whole group the entire time. Which makes no uh, sense. <laughs> yes, because nothing I could find mentions anyone's names ever. They don't disclose any members of the cult. Um, nothing. Absolutely nothing. No. Um, so mind you, this is 2017. Um, and it's 2021. I have no updates past 2018 that I can find. What I do have is that he was charged and convicted for a, let's see, he was a felon who was charged with possession of marijuana, unlawful possession of a firearm by a felon, and unlawful possession of metal or body armor by a felon. Currently in federal prison, according to the 2018 article I found about him, Um, but never any charges were ever made on the murders. And I say he was a felon just because I kind of brushed over this a little bit about him. He does have a criminal record. And one interesting thing to note is that in 1989, so just one year after this crime took place, he is charged um, in a burglary case. Hmm. So I found that interesting considering the fact what Sally had told the deputy and like a robbery and murder. Yeah. So um, definitely thought that was an interesting thing, but I couldn't find any updates. Every article I found, even the most recent ones from 2020 um, mentioned, you know, according to a 2018 article. So nothing there. 
It just um, fell off the face of the earth. <laughs> yes. So, lots of theories here. One piece that I want to, like, talk about is this whole DNA thing. Yes. So, if they claim to have DNA evidence, John Gilbreth is a convicted felon. He is in the National Database. And in the article from 2014, um, I found an archived article that's mentioned they're running the DNA profile through a national database. So Mm -hmm. if it was John, there would have been a match. And if there wasn't then, there there would be now. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? For sure. So I guess I was a little confused about that. Also, in one of the articles that I had read, there was a mention from the police that they wanted to make sure that they had the right person. So they weren't just blaming him. But... We have a DNA profile, so, like, if that's not Shane's from his exhumed body, or Sally's, whose is it? Exactly. So, I'm very confused about that. Do you want to go into some of your favorite theories on this case? I have so many theories. All right. (laughs) Well, one thing that I found very interesting, which... I don't even know how I ended up here, honestly. So don't even ask me. Um, there were a had... lot of rabbit holes to fall into. <laughs> so many like, rabbit we, holes. When we picked this case, we were like, oh, this is a good case to talk about. It's got a little bit of everything in this element. It's unsolved. It's kind of wild. There's satanic. We started diving into this and we were like, holy crap. There are so many fucking rabbit holes to fall down. <laughs> and literally for a case that like... We can barely find articles that are current. Like, we couldn't find... I couldn't find anything that was archived from, like, the original, like, 1980. Right. So, like, I feel like I had very limited reading material. And I was just like, oh, let me Google search this. Let me try this. Except Um, the rabbit holes. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't want to be called Alice. Um, (laughs) So, I somehow ended up on the San Angelo Police Department website. And... They have a, a section on there of their cold case investigations. There's one from, like, 1984. There's one from, like, the 90s. And there's a couple from the 2000s. None of which are of Sally and Shane. But there is one of a 1984 murder of Ronald Lewis Hearn. A young boy. I think he was 17 or 18. From San Angelo. He was with friends. Walking near a lake separated from his friends, attacked, then found in the lake drowning. Dead. Gone. But so Sally, and Sh- Sally and Shane are not considered to be a cold case, but the if you type in murder in San Angelo, they're the first case that come up. That doesn't make any sense. Like, Yeah, and it's extremely interesting because there is a current like cold case investigator assigned to this case Mm-hmm. And he actually runs a Facebook page called Remembering Shane and Sally because also dove deep into their Facebook page and to see what was that. going on there. So I found that to be super weird. Also just that it was another young kid, fresh out of high school, still in high school. Um, there was a weird comparison between Ronald, he wanted to be in the air force and i had read in an article that sally had talked about joining the air force or the national guard just a weird comparison or similarity yes, between the two her mom mentions it yeah on unsolved mysteries too 
And, like, why is that something that's mentioned on, I don't know. I don't feel like that's something that should be mentioned on the cold case site. (laughs) Yeah, and didn't you say there was something else weird? Their verbiage on something. Yes. Um, One thing that they, they have a little excerpt on, it says, Those responsible for the murder most likely carry around an enormous amount of guilt. Typically, this will change a person's personality and behavior. If someone saw a big change in a person who was close to Mr. Hearn, the identity of the person could assist the law enforcement in solving the murder. Which I feel like is a weird thing to have on their cold case page from a murder that happened more than 30 years ago. Almost 40 years, because that's the one from 84. 84, so I get, like, it, it did happen a while ago. You know, maybe that's the way they solve older cases but I mean there's one on here from 1995 that just says how you can help if you have any information call this guy (laughs) same thing with 2008 it doesn't say like these are the personality traits that someone who committed a crime like this might have like what yeah definitely interesting um so one of the big rabbit holes (laughs) that I can fall down (laughs) and I did (laughs) fell down very hard (laughs) is that there is a heavy belief um, that there's some sort of police involvement or a cover-up. And that's Mm -hmm. why this case is still unsolved. One thing I'd like to point out is that, you know, Shane and Sally were 17 and 18. When Shane got involved, or when Sally got involved, 17. But, like, you know, they're young kids. They're hanging around other young kids. It's not a bunch of, like, people that are way older than them. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, one thing I know for sure is that kids talk. Um, Any group that commits any sort of crime, that's usually how they get caught, is that someone always talks. So I feel like if they really had done some investigating, if they had done some digging and questioning into people involved in the cult, we'd kind of have some more leads, some more answers, and more kind of places to look. So I find it really interesting that all this time later, there's still nothing. Yeah, if it was definitely, like, the entire cult, there's no way that not one of these kids said something to someone during this entire period of time. I mean, we are years down the line here, but even, I mean, for them to be kids and not talk to each other, so is it one person? Was it, like, a random act? Yes. So, and I definitely think that could be a belief is that it was just like one person and like a random act or something like that. Um, Because I feel like with this whole cult theory, one, there's a lot of theories on this cult. A lot of people believe that this cult has a lot of big influences. (laughs) Um, But if you're really genuinely talking about like just what we know as a public from this I mean they they were all kids it seemed pretty harmless stuff not really like real cult stuff maybe some like minor criminal activities but I'm gonna be honest with you I was 17 18 doing some minor criminal activities myself um you can't say that live I mean well like think about it drinking underage that's a criminal activity it's frowned upon okay it's fr- it's I live in Wisconsin <laughs> very true it's a lot less frowned upon in wisconsin than it is in the rest of the country and us here in michigan know a lot of people that got minors in possession charges 
I could go and drink with my I parents eat. underage as long as I had my ID, like, to say that we lived at the same address. Okay, that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> that is straight wild. No, like, have my high school got minors in possession charges? Nope. <laughs> we know how to party over here. Well, when you're in Wisconsin, <laughs> there's nothing to do but eat cheese, drink beer. <laughs> True. Watch the Packers. <laughs> so yeah so a lot of theories that if this said cult does really exist that it is um they've got some big members involved i think Um, it's important to note though this is these are kids this is not like an organized crime group yes they're like i don't know they're not it's not the same level they're not yes. mature. They're not so. In, real in my criminals. mind, the only way that this cult theory works—real cults or whatever—is that there's some sort of organized crime going on there. It's been no. almost—it's been over 30 years since this case happened. To me, it's kind of mind blowing. What What's the ultimate game there? Is it drug related? Is it money related? Because that's the only way you see some type of organized crime in this cult. And if that was the case. Sally and Shane would have never gone to the police in the first place about the gun. Because no. even if they were lower on the totem pole, they would have known that there were some people involved. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things I want to know, you know, in the rabbit hole, I fell down. Um, one of them talked about police involvement and kept me- mentioning the ex-police chief who has been charged. Okay. I looked it up. I found it. Ex-police chief, his name is Tim Vasquez. He was arrested in 2020 on corruption charges. Uh, One count of receipt of a bribe by an agent of an organization receiving federal funds. And three counts of honest services mail fraud. Um, Tim Vasquez was elected in his position in 2004. So, for those that can't do math, I did it for you. It's 16 years after the crime took place. Uh, so I'm ruling that bad boy out. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with the ex-police chief that had been uh, recently found to be corrupt. I think that that guy um, that just kept posting about that had like a lot of beef with him. Because <laughs> there's had a lot about of beef with everyone. <laughs> there's about 90 uh, comments from him. <laughs> so some things I uh, I found were you know that. Um, at one point, the FBI, San Angelo Police Department, and Texas Rangers all kind of worked together. I'm mm-hmm. guessing the FBI and Texas Rangers at least looked into this case if it made national news on Unsolved Mysteries. that From everything I found, the FBI could not find anything to do with satanic rituals or cults in the area um, with the case. They don't really believe it was a real thing. Um, I'm I am a firm believer it was a group of kids that were hanging out and probably doing some dumb shit. <laughs> like, I don't know. I messed with the Ouija board once. I'll never do it again because I'm a lot older and I'm really smart. Um, Wait, can we do mess that? With that? Um, I, I mean, I, I know I know you just said no, but like I don't have anyone else to ask, and that's actually like <laughs> one of the things that's on my bucket list. So maybe I can change your mind. Okay, but we'll do it at your apartment when I visit you in Wisconsin. Oh, we should do it. We should do it in Vegas. Let's do it at Ballius. Ooh. Oh, for those of you that don't know, we found some interesting history about Ballius and Las Vegas. We will definitely do a case because Sydney fell down that rabbit hole 
hard for weeks. Every night at 9 p.m. I end up down the freaking rabbit hole again. <laughs> okay, so yeah, a lot of people on these forums, Reddit, Unsolved Mysteries forum pages, everything, they keep going back to this cult. Even the dad theory um, that he mentioned in Unsolved Mysteries, they're out by the lake, sitting on the table with some music, and he thinks that some members of their former cult approached them and something happened. I don't know what happened. I do want to know, now I cannot validate this with any real news story, only something that I had read in a couple people's posts, and it looked like a couple different people, that supposedly there's a truck with a couple kids pulled over that night for a traffic stop. Um, I don't know if it was later that night, early morning, because you got to think the last known sighting was around anywhere between midnight and 1 a.m., but um, supposedly these kids had Sally's driver's license in their possession. Don't know how they would go- know this, though, because those kids were let go with a ticket. Um, they weren't arrested. Nothing was searched. So I don't know really that theory. If there were kids pulled over and ticketed, my understanding is they never really dug into it. Um, a lot of people in the area claim that they've given tips or they feel like people knew who was doing it, and there were whispers, but no one really got involved because they were scared. Mm-hmm. I don't, I just really, my fir- my firm theory and belief here is that this really just had to be like a one-off situation, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was anyone involved in the cult. I know you mentioned this as well, that they were kids, and the people that they were involved with were a bunch of kids. They weren't hardened criminals. Um, I mean, John Gilbreth, this is over 30 years later, and he's getting pulled over and arrested for having weed on him, and he's a previous felon. I really, realistically, I think they might have been involved in something, but nothing as serious as everything has made it to seem to be. Mm-hmm. And I even, think I Unsolved mean... Mysteries kind of played up on it. It was a very classic old episode, starts off with the UFO possible UFO sighting and with uh, one of those that was the cheesiest those, UFO um, I ever seen agree one of those uh, stories at the end where they their parent the girl's parents die and she finds out her mom was a real mom and she had to search and find her mom and I don't know if you remember but I grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries oh, they had yeah. those in like every other K episode it was wild there was I always like so many so many happy stories like oh I found my mom <laughs> But like so the middle case, so there was three cases, and the middle case was Shane and Sally, and they played up on that ritualistic satanic cult. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they're freaking sitting there when like even the reenactment is like they're using a Ouija board. That has no, if I mean, like I said, <laughs> I've used one before. If that's the case, I've been in a cult. And I'm sure as heck I'm not someone that can deal with a cult. No. I think it's I'm also too big point. of a mouth for it. <laughs> Damn true, same. For John uh, Gilbreth, though, I think it's important to maybe put into perspective. So, you know, they did find those strange items in his house, but if he was a part of a cult, air quotes, um, when he was 17 years old, aren't those kind of, like, items that culty people would, like, hang on to? Maybe they were, like, all obsessed with the case because their friends went missing. I mean... I serial killers would hold on to stuff too and trophies but like if that's the case also he's a felon why hasn't he been charged with anything and why haven't you connected him with anyone anything else at that point it's been three years 
we never hear anything else about it ever. And even on the Remembering Sally and Shane page, you know, mm. I went through posts from the last, like, year. Because there aren't very many at this point. No. Um, unfortunately, it's it's been a long time. So, cases like this do tend to die out. And one thing that they kept mentioning, and people kept commenting and asking every time there was a post, you know, what happened about John Gilbreth? What, no one ever responded. Or, what's going on? What's an update? No one ever responds to them. So, I mean, it really seems to me like it's just like a dead end. They couldn't find anything, like, and that's where it's left at. Um, It is really sad. One thing super sad to note is, you know, in a couple articles I read, like, it even talks about it, Sally's funeral. Her mom said they draped her prom dress over her coffin. I mean, that's just heart-wrenching. This girl is 18, and her life was cut very short. So... I do want to, like, emphasize remembering the victims. And anyone who, Lord, if anyone who's in the area who listens to us at some point and hears this episode, fantastic. But if you know anything, you hear anything, uh, remembering Shane, Shane and Sally, their Facebook page, Shane Stewart, Sally McNeely, you can search them on Google. It pulls up. Uh, Mm -hmm. the Facebook page right away and that is run by the investigator of their cold case don't know if he's a part of San Angelo Police Department since (laughs) apparently it's not an open case for them he might be out of the Tom Green Sheriff Department I'm not quite sure but you know I definitely think that's also important to mention is where you can post credible evidence not more theories and I don't want to spew whose name I saw posted on there, but I will say this, that at one point I definitely saw people commenting, telling said person to go away and <laughs> their crazy theories somewhere else. He so, made me feel normal. You know, but the crazy <laughs> thing is, is like on those posts, there were so many other people commenting oh, yeah. similar things. Are like derivatives of what he was saying. So to me, it I, makes me feel like in the area, this is like a really common belief. And it really makes me sad because, to be honest, I think the whole cult factor has tainted this case. And that's the reason it hasn't been solved. For sure. I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to add at this point? Mm. <laughs> Putting you on the spot there. Not especially at this point. It's getting really hot in the closet, let me tell you. (laughs) Oh, in in case we didn't... I think we mentioned (laughs) at the beginning, Sydney is recording currently in a closet, so (laughs) thanks for... (laughs) Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate (laughs) you. Hopefully Ryan listens to us and then feels bad, but I doubt it. (laughs) Maybe 10 years down the line. (laughs) Um, well, for those of you that listened to our episode and stuck it out, thank you very much. <laughs> um, we have lots of resources. I'm sure we'll post it eventually. <laughs> um, on we have by the time this is re- released, we will have a Facebook and we will have an Instagram. We will be promoting heavily on both of them as well as our personal social media pages. Um, but since we don't have one right quite yet, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you a name to follow us, but please, please <laughs> tune in to the next time we post an episode, because 
to be honest, I think it's only going to get better from here. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be less awkward. Uh, let's hope so. And just because um, a little background story, we decided on the name Tacos and Tequila because we love Mexican food and margaritas. And let's be honest, who doesn't? Um, we are in the same week as uh, National Margarita Day. Facts. That landed on a fucking Monday. Facts that I don't know about until <laughs> Tuesday because Tuesdays are tacos and tequila <laughs> days. Yeah, seriously. Um, <laughs> the only people so, that we're celebrating are the unemployed peoples on Margarita Monday, apparently. Or the or the young kids, you know. I'm a millennial. I'm I'm pushing thirty at this point. So the young kids and cults. You know, I talked <laughs> <laughs> my birthday just passed and when I was talking to my little sisters, my dad, who called me for my birthday, and they asked if I feel old yet. And literally about 10 minutes before they called, not even, I reached for something and thought I pinched a nerve in my shoulder, and I thought <laughs> I was going to die. And I'm only 28, so... <laughs> it I only goes downhill from here. Don't throw down a margaritas on a Monday like I used to. <laughs> but I did on Monday enjoy some Taco Bell, so... That'll be my substitution for now. Hopefully next week I'll have an update on some sort of frozen alcoholic beverage or real Mexican food to talk about. <laughs> Pina coladas. Ooh. And We're recording on a Friday, so I can get a little wild tonight when we finish this call. Heck Stay yeah, wait for next week's call <laughs> next talk. <laughs> um... Well, thanks so much for sticking out with us, and um, we'll see you next time. Or bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs>